It's only the big enterprises are really using some level of AI and the startups. Companies in between, I don't really see them using AI the way they should. They talk about AI a lot. They think about AI, they discuss AI, but I don't see them going into implementation the way that they should. You're listening to GTM Disrupted with Mike Smart of Egress Solutions. Learn how product management and product marketing thought leaders are rethinking their business strategies to thrive in a world of radical change. Hi, my name is Mike Smart and welcome to Go to Market Disrupted. Today I have Kavita Ganesan with me. Kavita is the founder of OpenOSIS Analytics, an AI advisory and consulting company. She's also the author of a very timely book entitled The Business Case for AI, A Leader's Guide to AI Strategies, Best Practices, and Real-World Applications. The book is actually how I learned about Kavita, and I think the book is actually a compelling read for anyone responsible for AI initiatives. Today, we're going to talk about how software executives and product leaders can improve the outcomes of their AI strategies. In Kavita's 15 years of AI experience, she has advised Fortune 500 companies, as well as small and mid-sized companies on their AI initiatives. Kavita holds graduate degrees in AI and computer science from the University of Southern California and the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, where she earned her PhD specializing in applied AI and NLP, or natural language processing. Part of Kavita's mission statement is to change the status quo, which means more wins in the adoption of AI through mindset changes, sound strategies, and education. I'm very pleased to have Kavita with us today. Kavita, thank you for agreeing to spend some time with us. I'm excited to get into the topic, but I'd like to start with asking a question about your background. You have a mixture of academic and business success. Can you share with us your path on how you managed to split your time between these two worlds? Sure. Thank you for having me, uh, Mike. I'm, it's my pleasure to be here. Let me tell you a bit about my background. So I started off at the University of Southern California when I came to the U.S. And that's where I was introduced to this whole world of AI. And that was during my master's program. So they have a really strong uh, AI research group that are really big and really strong. And this was in 2004, 2005, way before AI became the really sexy thing that it is today. It is. It was not a thing in 2004. <laughs> it wasn't, yes. But at USC, it was. It was mm. the thing to research. And I was like really drawn into like algorithm development, problem solving, because that is my strength, problem solving. And every new AI problem has its own uh, angle to it, even though the techniques underneath may be different. So I was drawn to this, but after I graduated, I had to get a job. And um, I couldn't do a job in AI because there, were, there wasn't really such a thing at that time. Uh, you had to either be a PhD researcher at an industry lab or an academic. So I went on to becoming a software engineer but my heart was still in AI, NLP. I, I really wanted to do this thing. So even though I was a software engineer at eBay, at, I did a lot of AI projects on the site. I even went to conferences, published papers. 
So I was really into this thing. Then at some point I decided, okay, I'm, I'm just going to do my PhD in AI and then become an industry researcher or an academic. <laughs> so that's when I went and did my PhD at Urbana-Champaign, University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And that was my dream come true. So lots of different AI problems. And I focused on NLP problems specifically, NLP, text mining, search. So very relevant to the world we live in today. Then as I was about to graduate, this data science thing really started to gain traction. That was around 2011, 2013. So big data became a thing. So instead of becoming an academic researcher or becoming an industry AI researcher, I started to solve lots of in industry problems because I loved problem solving. So that's how I got into more the practical side of things. Although I had this really strong academic research. And um, as I was solving more and more of these problems, um, people are seeing that I was working for Microsoft, 3M, and they wanted these AI type solutions in their products. So then they started reaching out uh, to me to consult uh, on their uh, projects. So that's how I got more and more into consulting. And I felt that I could make a big impact just directly working with different companies. So then I became a consultant part-time and now I'm a full-time consultant where I not only teach what AI is, but I also help companies strategize, implement, and think about AI as a tool that they can use in their business. So that's my journey. That's a wonderful yeah. explanation and story. And I'll just add this little thought. You're an example, in my opinion, of people pursuing things that they love, regardless of the circumstances. And that's what this, that's what you being here and obviously publishing the book really means to me, mm -hmm. is that you persisted until you got to the end state you wanted to achieve. Yes. I love that. You know, in your book, you lay out some valuable principles on how to succeed with AI. But you start the book with a statement which I found intriguing maybe, or just shocking because I didn't expect it, which is big, bold letters, stop using AI. What's your thinking behind that? Yes, actually, 50% of the clients who come to me for AI problems go away without any AI at all. So the reason is because most of the problems people think are AI problems are not AI problems at all. They're just simple software automation problems or they're better off being solved manually because the investment in AI is not worth it for that particular problem. Um, I can give an example. So there was an attorney who approached me to work on a project where you automatically populate a pattern with the relevant legalese, depending on the type of pattern. So he insisted that this was an NLP project but then when I looked deep into it, it was just reading, like it was a, a set of if else statements that you could use. So no AI was really needed. So when I mentioned that to him, he was really upset because he wanted to sell this as an AI product. So that's why I say, stop using AI. Think about whether this is really an AI problem, whether you really need it before trying to use AI for your software automation problems. So most of the listeners to this podcast have a fundamental standing of AI. They come from the tech space. They are sitting on the product side. So they lean into the technology. They have created products. And so with an understanding of that, 
these product leaders, market leaders, marketing leaders are responsible for new innovations, new solutions. They're always looking for the next thing to layer in. And many of them are being incented, encouraged, and in some cases told to find AI opportunities for their products. So with that as the backdrop, your attorney story about looking for an AI solution to what it was a rules-based problem, share with these people, these leaders, how to circumnavigate this pressure coming from inside the organization, this ask, and oh, by the way, it's not as much pressure, it is in many cases, they're excited to leap into this. What cautions, what things should they be doing as they sort through this in terms of picking the right types of AI-oriented capabilities to put into their products and solutions? Yeah, the, there are a few ways to look at it. So the first is the applicability of AI, a specific problem. So problems that tend to benefit from AI are complex decision-making problems that require human-like thinking. So let me give you a few examples. So let's say we take a problem where you have to flag a credit card transaction as fraudulent or not. So this requires looking at multiple different data points, like current purchase value, previous purchase value, location, and a lot of other like hundreds of data points on a case-by-case basis. And this is a very complex problem because it takes time for each transaction and transactions happen so rapidly. I was going to say the transaction volume is absolutely astronomical. Yes. Yeah. It's like, it's not seconds, it's milliseconds. Right. Yeah. So the volume is so high and with the use of AI right there to make those decisions for you, at least to flag like 50% of those transactions as fraudulent or not, gives you a, a significant productivity boost. So looking for those complex problems is the first starting point. And so that, so I call that making AI sense. The, the problem first has to make AI sense. So once it makes AI sense, it has to also make business sense. So is this a one-time problem? So do you really want to build a whole AI system just for a one-time thing? Or should it be a recurring problem with high volume, high workload, where it can provide tangible benefit by using automation right there. So it has to make business sense as well. So once you have these two things figured out, whether it's AI sense, makes AI sense, it makes business sense, then you're on the right path. So the next path is to find, next part is to find if you have the data to support the initiatives, if you have the tools. So that's when you go deeper. So, and most companies miss the first two parts. It's interesting you bring in a third component and what little bit I understand and know about AI, and I sit on the periphery of this and certainly have done enough reading to understand it at that level. One of the big constraints I know that exists inside many B2B software companies is the third component, which is the data. Not necessarily the volume of data, but it's also the structure of data. Mm-hmm. In most B2B business applications, most B2B software applications, will have an amalgamation of structured data, but also massively unstructured data. So help us a little bit understand where we need to tilt on this and when is that gonna be a constraint if you can. You can share your thoughts on that. Yeah, so, so each AI problem will have its very unique data needs. 
So some will just need structured data. Some will need a bunch of images. So you'll have to determine what data is it that you need. For example, let's say you need data from clicks generated from users. Mm -hmm. uh, you have those clicks, but you're just not collecting it. So right. now you'll have to start collecting the data to support that AI initiative that's going to use clicks. So understanding what type of data is the first point after you, you've passed the first two steps uh, on the technical side. Mm -hmm. And once you know what data you need, then it becomes easier because you can crowdsource data sometimes. Mm -hmm. You can internally crowdsource. They ask employees to create some labels for you to use for the machine to learn. And sometimes you don't even need training data. You can start with an approach that doesn't need those labels. That's called the, un the unsupervised learning approaches. So the, so the startups that I work with, usually they don't have label data. They exactly. don't have money. <laughs> so they, <laughs> we always start with the simplest approach just to get them off the ground. And that works relatively well. And then you can start building your second version, third version, which is more complex. Egress Solutions is a high-touch product growth and market success consultancy. Since 2009, Egress Solutions has had successful engagements with the top technology organizations, delivering insights into buyer preferences, product market fit, product management, and go-to market excellence. Egress Solutions accelerates top-line growth and market success for our clients. Go to www.egresssolutions.net to learn more. You know, you describe the startup scenario, no data, no money, but that's common, right? But yeah. what's interesting about that to me is that starting an AI project on that type of premise would really force the developers, the thought leaders around the problem to be very, I wouldn't say structured, no pun intended, and very um, intentional and very purposeful about what they're doing. Yes. And, and so I'm going to take from what you just said and maybe throw out a thought, a broad thought, that the best way to learn about AI is to start with no money and no data. And you can pr probably, if you nail the two problem sets you described, you can probably get a, an application or potential application stood up that you'll understand a lot better than if you're pumping out things like you talked about going out and crowdsourcing data. That was just a thought that I occurred because a lot of my career as a product manager and a product leader was spent in operations where companies were small with no data and no money. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly a, a, a kind of a, a way to, to be very frugal about the whole process. And if you don't, if it doesn't work out, you don't have to stand up in front of executives and explain why it failed either. So. Yeah, anyway. that's, that's true. Yeah. There are lot, lots of cheap ways to get data that you need. I like that word cheap ways yeah. to stand up an AI project. Yeah. That's the title of a next book. Maybe. <laughs> yes. Without paying um, open AI. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Where do you think we are in AI adoption? If you had to stand back and zoom out, given your extensive background, mm. your training, your knowledge and mm. project, where, where are we in this cycle? If you, if you had to put this on a life cycle. I would say at the very, very early stages, just because it's only the big enterprises are really using some level of AI and the startups. Mm -hmm. Companies in between, I don't really see them using AI the way they should. They talk about AI a lot. 
they think about AI, they discuss AI, but I don't see them going into implementation the way that they should. They're just picking random projects and just trying like off the shelf tools from Amazon. So they're not really thinking through it strategically. And even the big companies, it's only like Microsoft, you, you're talking about tech companies that are really, really have embraced AI. The manufacturing companies, I still see them on the um, early side of AI. Clearly the tech companies have absorbed the mm -hmm. bulk of the excitement. And obviously the funding for AI, for AI companies and AI ventures is at probably a 30 year high. You described yeah. 2004, we were just coming out of, I guess what we would have called one of the AI winters that we were, that we were living through. And with that massive amount of money being presented and being available, the startups were absolutely going to move there. I mean, be, just mm -hmm. open AI is an example of, of just yeah. how, how much things have, have caught on. So when we go back to this idea of the mid-sized companies, what would you, if you were sitting in a product or technology leadership role in a company like that, what are some of the principles you would want to pull out of some of the work that you've done to start a project? Talk a little, if you can, and put yourself in there. So you say, how would how would you go about trying to find out if I was no. working with something that was real and valuable to extend our, our existing product or create a new product? Yeah, so I would start by talking to subject matter experts who do like manual work every day, um, trying to figure out what are their pain points? Like uh, what work are they doing manually? Why? And what is their process like? What's your workflow like? So talking to different subject matter experts from different like business units, maybe HR, they have a very manual hit, uh, recruiting process. In customer service, they may have some like bunch of manual processes. So understanding these different workflows will give you insights into potential opportunities. Like maybe AI can help with this, maybe just plain software engineering can help with this or AI paired with a software system can help. So it gets you thinking about how automation can help in general. And once you find those automation opportunities, software automation opportunities, you'll see that some of the problems are very relevant for AI, like trying to generate um, answers to customer questions. That's a fantastic use of AI type uh, systems. So I would say talk to your subject matter experts. So I'm hearing you say something that we on the product, product management side of the world say to ourselves a lot. Maybe we don't always do it, but we intend to, which is, figure out what problem you're trying to solve. The other thing I heard you say, which is talk to customers, specifically users, and extract from them their jobs, what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and there's a series of other things. So it, some of this is fundamental to the job that the professionals who do software, product managers, developers do, that's what they should be starting with anyway. Now there's something else that you added and I think you refer to this in the book as an AI mindset. Yep. Talk a little about what that's what that's like. How is that? What's different about it? What's what's the thought process behind that? AI mindset is more a strategic 
way of thinking. Okay. So don't look at a problem as an AI problem to start with. Think of it as a software automation problem and maybe there's some AI in it. And that AI can be identified using what we spoke about earlier. Look for problems that uh, make AI sense, business sense, and then dig deeper until you can get your technical experts, AI experts involved and telling you whether the project is doable or not. So understanding it at a 5,000 foot level and then being able to dive in a little deeper to maybe a 1,000 foot level. So that's what an AI mindset is. Okay, very similar to what software organizations do in their product development SDLC process or software development lifecycle. It's not foreign to us. This is a it's which means we should be very comfortable doing these this kind of work. It's just an extension to maybe a different a different lens. That's sort of what I'm hearing. Yep. What are some of the common mistakes you've seen or observed as you look at companies trying to put together AI strategies? The first mistake is the type of problems that they find and shortlist. So it's often based on discussions with other members of the team. Like some someone will have a cool idea and the manager will think that's cool. And and customer they never would have, do that. Come on. <laughs> or maybe they a customer would have suggested in the feature request as hey, if you can solve this problem, that'll be good for us. Now that's a good indicator, but you there needs to be volume, mm-hmm. sufficient volume. So starting with the wrong problems is one of the worst ways to approach AI. And I and I feel that's why a lot of companies are not seeing the value from AI because they're not solving the right problems and not articulating the benefits that AI brings into the picture. Like what problem is it solving? H- how are you quantifying this and how are you going to measure it? Like what is the pain point? Like are you in decreasing the time to do something? What is it that you're trying to achieve? What's the objective? So getting to that detail is not really happening. It's still very high level. So I, I see that's the problem. Okay. One of the problems, I, yeah. I would also maybe add a thought that comes to me is starting to design and or code too early. Yes, yeah. To start building algorithms before they fully understand the problem. Yes. And then they get locked into an outcome or an approach, right? Yeah, and in a lot of, in a lot of companies, I've seen that the data scientists, they start developing the solution then mm-hmm. they shop around, hey, who wants to use this? Who wants to use this? And This yeah, is a cool yeah. piece of code. Anybody yeah. got any uses for it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, then they can't find consumers for it. So it's right. just a waste of time. So I want to do an imagination game with you. Imagine you're the newly appointed product leader or CPO of a mid-size enterprise software company. You can envision in your mind what what the product solution set is, where they offer their, their capabilities. And you get a mandate, start looking for AI. That's, that's all you've got. But what, can you pull into this discussion some of the things that are you've discovered, you've learned, you've used in your consulting practice and even document in your book that you would say, this is how I'd approach that given that I had that mandate? Start looking for AI. 
So the first thing I would, I would have people do is go learn what is AI. Because if you don't know what it is, you are going to find all sorts of software automation problems making into that list. So being able to articulate what is AI, it's not just one thing. It's NLP, it's computer vision, it's this and that. And how it all fits in the picture and what is generative AI. So having that perspective will first give people an understanding of what to look for. And if I can interject, please, we're talking about providing this learning for the entire organization, right? This is an uplift to the intelligence level around AI for everybody that works in the organization. For yes, most people who work in the organization and have the responsibility of looking for opportunities, yes. Yes, okay. Yes. So it's just high level understanding. And Mm -hmm. then I'll introduce them to the frameworks, to the bulletproof frameworks that can help them identify opportunities without thinking without second guessing themselves. Mm-hmm. So the projects that will make to the li- that will come to the list will be fairly good projects maybe it needs to be broken down into like really I mean to actual AI projects but it, at least those that make sense will make it to the list. Mm-hmm. So understanding AI and giving people frameworks for finding these opportunities and how mm-hmm. and one client actually told me that they used they used the book to identify to distinguish between just plain software automation and AI-driven automation. So being able to make that distinction is really, really critical, I feel. Do you think there's a need for an AI-focused role or an AI-focused organization in companies at this point? Um, AI-focused companies. So I AI hear a lot focus of- position or leadership position. I'm thinking about the days when innovation became a thing. That was about 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And suddenly we had chief innovation officers and we had innovation departments. Are we at a point where we're going to start seeing, or do you think it's even a good idea to start seeing concentration of personnel and leadership around artificial intelligence? Yes, I think the CDO or anyone who is in charge of data and analytics should also understand AI. Okay. It would be nice to have a, an AI officer, but I don't think that's necessary. But the CDO, anyone managing analytics should understand AI. And more importantly, that understanding should be up to the product manager. So, and that acronym CDO is Chief Data Officer, correct? Chief Data Officer, yeah. Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah, and because without this understanding, they are not going to know like why certain infrastructure pieces would be needed, why you even need these algorithms versus that. So having that understanding gives them the context to make decisions. When you look at this this particular industry, the tech industry, you know, AI and ML are critically important. I'm going to ask you to share, if you can, maybe some thoughts you have about where you think this is going with the overlay of technology, software, that sort of thing. Where do, where do you see this? If you can project or feel comfortable projecting two years out, three years, whatever you're comfortable with, where do you see this evolving to? I think there'll be a lot more tools based on generative AI for sure, but these are consumer tools. But I think businesses will still be struggling to find that those really 
impactful problems to use for AI to actually push their businesses forward. So I think it'll be a consumer-driven uh, AI scene in the next few years because there already are so many AI tools for consumers. Yeah. Truly. And yeah. there's probably 100 million people that have signed on a chat yeah. GPT. So we yes. <laughs> for and any number we, of reasons. The problem is we are taking that consumer thinking into the business and that doesn't really translate. Can you share a little bit more thoughts on that? Yeah, so in in the consumer space, sometimes people just want to use cool tools, even if they don't need it. But but in a within a business, if you use start using cool tools when you don't need it, then you're just wasting money and resources. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm saying it doesn't translate. On the consumer okay. end, you can still sell those tools. Appreciate you sharing that insight. Yeah. Who do you? Who or where do you go to look for insight, inspiration? Where, where, where do you get your, your center filled with the things that make you write books and go off and start businesses, that sort of thing? Yeah, that's a very good question. I do a lot of deep thinking myself on my walks, and that gives me a lot of inspiration to do things that I wouldn't have done if I just sat at my desk. Uh, that's one place. And another place is like, I, I try to go deep into the foundations of certain things, like large language models, for example. I try not to just understand it at a high level. I try to understand it at a low level so that when I start translating to the business audience, it's actually the accurate thing. So it's not superficial, not made up. So I'm conveying the right things to my audience. Okay. Yeah. So I tried to go deep into technical stuff and also do my own thinking. And, and I read, uh, I've started reading a lot of different types of books. I forget the names, but it's more like geopolitical stuff, how okay. drilling changed in the United States and so those types of books, which gives me perspective into other things. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Kavita, I really want to thank you for joining. This has been an amazing conversation. You've shared some great insights with us with keeping this at the level that the audience wants to hear, which is strategic, conceptual, and worrying about going into the deep into the technical. If someone wants to connect with you, wants to find out more about the capabilities and the that you offer through your consulting practice or get a sampling of your book or any of those kinds of things, how would they connect with you? How would they find you? Yeah, for a sampling of my book, you can visit my uh, personal website is k-a-v-i-t-a-g-a-n-e-s-a-n.com. G -A -N -E -S -A -N .com. And if you want to learn about my consulting practice, you can visit my company website. It's O-P-I n-o-s-i-s dot a-i so these are the two places that would go and i'm also on linkedin so if you want to connect with me on linkedin that'd be great that works that's how i found you right oh, that's good yeah <laughs> thank you listen enjoyed you here again thank you for joining and to the people listening out there we really appreciate your downloads your reviews and your comments thanks again for joining us that's yeah, it thank you for having go me go to market disruptor 
Thank you for listening. To learn more about Egress Solutions, head on over to www.egresssolutions.net.